Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Uh, I want you to grab your Bibles, notebooks, pens. You can text OLC Notes to 94000 and get those on your phone so you can fill them out. And uh, today, I'm, I'm really excited because we are jumping into a brand new series today. Uh, how many enjoyed Romans? Romans was amazing. It was so fun. Uh, but as we were praying about this fall, we felt like, you know what? This is a really, really good opportunity for us to really focus in on what are our values as a church What are our values? What is the culture that we are building here at One Life Church? And so what we're going to do is over the next few weeks, and we don't have an exact timeline because we don't have exact timelines, um, we're going to be going through a series that we are calling The Church We See. The Church We See. And through it, we're going to be going through our values. We're going to pull in some of our belief statements from our statement of faith, and we're just going to go through, and it is going to be awesome. I've been prepping for these series as I'm so, so excited. Today is not going to do justice to the topic that we're going to be talking about, but I am going to dig into it a little bit. But to get us going and have fun, because um, I like having fun, here we go. I'm going to give you a few things here that kids say about the Bible. Are you ready? Are you ready for these? Here we go. This is, this is some deep theology that's getting ready to drop. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. I mean, if you were part of, you know, the, you might be prickly, who knows? The greatest miracle in the Bible was when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. It's a miracle. Have you ever tried to tell your son to stand still? The first commandment in the Bible was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. Hey, I didn't write this. Some genius child did. Noah couldn't do much fishing while he was on the ark because he only had two worms. Noah built a large boat and put his family and some animals on it. He asked some other people to join him, but they said they would have to take a rain check. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's dad joke status right there. When you get scared, God will bring you your quilt because he said the comforter would come. It says the Lord thy God is one, but I think he's a lot older than that. Remember, these are kids saying these things. Jesus had 12 opossums. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. He was so evil that they named a terrible vegetable after him. A six-year-old explaining basic Christian theology to his younger sister says, you see, it was Jesus's job to die for our sins. It's our job to sin. I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with that one. A father was reading Bible stories to his young son. He read the man named Lot was warned to take his wife and flee out of the city. But his wife looked back and was churned to salt. His son asked, what happened to the flea? Just think about it. Think about it. 
Yeah, okay, okay. We'll keep going. All right. You get it? Here. Uh, the man said a lot, warned him to take his wife and flee out of the city. Oh. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm not sure if that was sympathy or that was real, but thank you, regardless. A Sunday school teacher decided to have her young class memorize one of the most quoted passages in the Bible, Psalm 23. She gave the youngsters a month to learn the verse. Little Bobby was excited about the task, but he just couldn't remember the psalm. After much practice, he could barely get past the first line. On the day that the kids were scheduled to recite Psalm 23 in front of the congregation, Bobby was so nervous when it was his turn, he stepped up to the microphone and said proudly, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's all I need to know. How how many would claim that? That's all. He's my shepherd. That's all I need to know. I love that. Kids, kids say great things. All right. On our journey through values today, we're going to start with our foundation. When you're building something, when you're building a building, when you're talking about all of these pieces that fit together, you talk about first the foundation. And I'm really, really, really excited to tell you that at One Life Church, our foundation is Jesus. Okay, Um, I'm really, really, really excited to tell you that at One Life, our foundation is Jesus. Come on. There's a lot of things you can build your life on and all of it will fail if not on the foundation of Jesus. We're gonna talk about this both in our personal life but also as a church. What does it mean to build a life and a church on the foundation of Jesus? Here at One Life, we say it like this. Jesus is our foundation. He's the one that we build our lives and our church on and the salvation that we anchor our souls in. His words bring life and enable us to mature as we follow him. I think that kind of encapsulates what it means to have Jesus as the foundation of your life. For me, this journey of Jesus being the foundation started when I was three years old, when I put my faith in him and decided and said that he is my Lord and he's my savior. That day, a foundation began to build that has now been able to hold a life of serving him. But it starts, it starts in this moment where we say, you know what? I'm not doing this by myself anymore. This is not working. I can try. I can try to do all the right stuff. I can try to say all the right stuff. I can try to live a perfect life. I can try to have no sin in my life, which by the way is just laughable because there's no way of doing that. But I can try to do all that or I can say, you know what? My foundation is weak and pathetic. I want Jesus as my foundation. And we start to build on that and your life drastically changes. First, or Philippians 3 says this. This is Paul talking about Jesus. Indeed, I count everything else as loss compared to what? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, we all have a foundation that we build our lives on. And what's really interesting about a foundation, and this is just great news to encourage you and build you up this morning. 
Do you know the only time that a foundation is tested? It's in a storm. It's the only thing that will show if your foundation is solid or not. This is a very famous picture. You probably have seen this. How many of you have seen this picture before? There's actually a series of them. My dad has them hanging in his office that it, it, each one progressively gets more and more engulfed by, by the wave. But I love the, the, this picture and I love the power of it because the guy is not worried. All he has to do is duck inside and he'll be protected by the waves. Can I tell you that the storms and the waves have proven the foundation of this lighthouse? Here's the thing about your life, my life, our church, that if Jesus is the foundation, then nothing will have the ability to ruin that foundation. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. There will absolutely be things that will take place in your life and in my life and in our church that will shake us to our core. And it will show if our foundation is on Jesus or not. Sadly, there's, there's a lot of times when we walk through storms only to discover that really what we've built our life on is something other. And where we felt like there's a lot of security and a lot of strength is in something that actually will not carry us or weather us through the storm. And, and, and as we talk about Jesus as our foundation, I think it's so powerful to come back and say, even if I'm, even if I'm a believer, even if I love Jesus and even if I follow him, there's times in all of our lives where maybe we start to build on something other than Jesus. Maybe our life starts to be built on an opinion, a political position, maybe something that we've read and we've ingested from social media or something like that. And very subtly what takes place, if we're not absolutely careful to keep our foundation grounded on Jesus, is that we start to shift onto these other things. And then let me give you a perfect example. If your belief system or your security is in politics and then all of everything blows up in your face and that is where your foundation has been, you'll be left without a foundation. Just as an example, there's things in life that, that if we're not, if, we're, if we don't really watch this and we're not really careful with this, we can actually start building our life on and they will all fail. We can even start building our foundation on the fact that if I follow Jesus, my entire life is going to be good. What happens when it's not? Well, if the foundation was on the good things that God does rather than on Jesus, when we go through a little bit of pain and suffering, our foundation gets shaken. Rather than walking through pain, walking through sorrow, walking through sadness, founded on Jesus that goes, you know what? Even if all of this happens... I know where I stand. Like, like everything could fall down around me, but I'm solid because I got Jesus. In these days, this is one of the most exciting things that we can actually say is that our foundation is rooted on Jesus. Everything around you will try to shake you, to tear you apart, and it will prove where you're at in these things. If you've walked through a season of life where you're like, you know what, I think my foundation is a little bit shaky, I want to tell you that it's so beautiful because God has created it where we can come right back into alignment to build our foundation on Jesus. And even where we've gotten off, we can come back and we can repent and we can say, Jesus, forgive me. 
Today, right now, I want to put my foundation on you. There is no other rock. There's no other fortress. There's no other foundation like you. I've been in other places. I'm coming back to you. I've leaned on other things. I've come back to you. Everything else has fallen apart in my life, but Lord, I'm clinging to you stronger than anything else because your love and your righteousness and your authority will remain above everything else. We start to make these proclamations and something changes in our life. Paul talks about this foundation being Jesus in 1 Corinthians 3. He says this, for we are God's fellow workers. Congratulations, all of us. We're God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In other words, God is doing something with your life. He is building something with your life. How many of you are so excited that God is building something with your life? He hasn't given up. He hasn't said, well, there it goes. I, I've told you so many times and wow, you just can't even get it. So sorry. No, he's building something amazing with our life. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care with how he builds upon it. In other words, you and me as believers take care how we build on this foundation in our life. But what is this foundation? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing else even compares. Nothing else even comes close. So Jesus is our foundation. How many are kind of in that, that Jesus is our foundation? As, as a church, this is really a, a very vital thing for us to know that for, for your pastors, for Ellie and I, that where we come back to every time, we are processing about something that God wants to do. We're processing about what the church is gonna do and where to take the church and, 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 and how to move forward and all the things that God has, that every time we always come back to, but are we grounded on Jesus? And we have to make sure that we do that because that is what will carry us forward into everything that comes against the church. You know, as I look through history of the church, the church has always been persecuted. Like, I'm sorry to say it, but it always has. And it always will be until Christ returns. But what I know about that is even in the persecution, the foundation can be secure. And for us here at One Life to have our foundation be in Jesus Christ secures us for what he wants to do. Now, if Jesus is our foundation, it's really important for us to identify who Jesus is. And for a few minutes, I want to talk with you about who the Jesus of the Bible is. Because even, even Jesus, there's some different mentalities and thoughts around who he is. And I want to make sure that what we base our belief system on who Jesus is, is grounded in scripture. You see, there's, it's an undisputed fact that Jesus existed. There's facts, there's historians, there's all of this that actually claims and says that he was a real man that walked the earth, like that, that isn't even argued anymore. But different belief systems believe different things about Jesus. And so I want to give you some of these things just so that you're aware. And I'm not doing this to tear anybody down, but I do, as, as a pastor, it's my responsibility to just lay some things out so we make sure we're on the same page when it comes to who Jesus is that we build our foundation on. Amen? Okay. Jesus of the Bible. In Islam, in Islam, Jesus is called one of God's highest ranks and most beloved prophets. Okay? He, he, he was a prophet, and according to Islam, this is what took place. Nothing in there, though, about Savior, Son of God, anything. Buddhism believes that Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. 
Notice, that's not wrong, right? He was enlightened and he was a wise teacher. But it leaves something out. Hinduism, he was a holy man, a wise teacher, but get this, one of a million gods, like, like millions. Like, yeah, you can believe in Jesus. That's great. He's one of so many. Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness think very similarly about it. They say that Jesus was the literal son of God, but the slight difference is not God himself. There's a, there's a clear distinction. And, and so I want to I wanna hopefully paint the picture of what we believe and who we believe Jesus is today. So that when you leave this service today, there is no, absolutely no doubt in your mind who we believe and we know Jesus to be. Atheism says this, that Jesus was super niceness. <laughs> he's just, he's so nice. If, you, if, you ha- if you're nice, you, you, you're Jesus. Like, oh, that's so nice. New Age movement says this, that Jesus was a wise and moral teacher. But that's it. Just a wise and moral teacher. So who is Jesus to us? From our statements of faith, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The savior of men, conceived, I can do this, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God and fully man. That's who we believe Jesus is. Can everyone agree with that? Okay, powerful to believe this. The, The cool thing about the fact that when we say something like this, it's wrapped up in love, it's wrapped up in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is true love, not that you love God, but that God loved you and sent his son to die on the cross for you. Everything that we see in who Jesus is was wrapped in love, was wrapped in love. So for us here at One Life Church, I'm gonna make some statements about what we believe about Jesus Christ here and, and hopefully we can get really excited about this. The first of these is this. We believe that Jesus is eternal. Yes. Jesus is eternal. He was at the beginning and he will be all the way through forever. Okay, Jesus was eternal. He existed in the beginning. If he he is eternal, that means he existed in the beginning, right? Kind of a no-duh statement, but, you know, just going to throw it out there, all right? He existed at the beginning. John 8 is is this really cool interaction where Jesus makes this comment, and, you know, he was talking about having a conversation with Abraham. And the Jews are like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not even 50. How can you say that you have talked to Abraham? Abraham. And they're all getting up in his grill and everything. And then what does Jesus say in 8 verses 57? He says, so the Jews, the Jews said to him, here it is, you're not even 50 years old yet. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said this, truly, truly. If he says truly twice, it means it's really true. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. And everyone's sitting there going, What? I mean, I read it and I'm like, give me a mic. Where's the mic drop, you know? It's like, it's amazing, right? So in the beginning, when you read the very opening line of Genesis, in the beginning, God. I want to unpack that just for just a quick second here. God is from the Hebrew word, Eloah, okay? 
means a, a kingly deity being. However, what's really cool about Genesis 1 is when you look at God, it is the plural version of that word, Amen. Elohim, which means that at the very first line, you have in the beginning was God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So cool. Yes. Goose pimples. We believe, another statement for you here, we believe in the eternal Godhead, one God existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that it's three in one. This is, this is powerful, that it's one God. We have to understand this. It's one God. It's not separate gods. It's one God expressed in these things. There's verses attached to this that you can take a picture of or they're in your notes because I'm not going to have time to read them because I never have time to get through anything. But I've given them to you so that you can go back and read through them. But let me give you a couple other scriptures here. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word who is the word. Jesus. Meaning at the very beginning of time, you had Jesus with God in creation. And then this is cool, because then you talk about the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 8 says this. Proverbs 8 is wisdom is speaking. But we know this, that wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit is now speaking about this whole situation and scene that was taking place at the beginning of time. Holy Spirit speaking, wisdom speaking. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew the circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited word and delighting in the children of man. You get this really cool, beautiful scene of God creating and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all three of them there in creation and the joy that was expressed and the celebration that was expressed. And when God was looking, it's why in Genesis, God created stuff and he said, it is good. Man, it was a party at creation. And you see the Trinity at work here. So he existed at the beginning. And then also because we believe he's eternal, he is resurrected and lives forever. And there's no end, no end. He will go on forever. Another statement of faith for you. We believe in the bodily ascension of Jesus Christ, his exaltation in person, literal, and bodily coming again the second time for the church. He's coming back. How many of you are really excited he's coming back? I'm really excited that this isn't it. I've told you this before. I love you, but I'm really excited to get to heaven because you'll be there with me, but we won't have to. The Civic Center is awesome, but um, um, I have higher hopes for heaven. So just, just going to say, he's coming back. All right. Now, so Jesus is eternal. Second thing that we need to understand about Jesus, and this is what we root our, our foundation on, he is fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. This is so important, you guys. This is so important. And it's important for us to understand it's not 50-50. It's 100% of both. 
right? It's not like, oh, he was half God and half man. What does that even mean? Like, that, that's harder to believe, you know? He's 100% of both. Now, this is why this is so important, is for him to be able to be savior, he had to be God and man in order for him to be our savior. And, and I want to I make some statements. Now, now these statements, I, I don't want you to think that I'm putting God in a box, okay? Because this is not what my intent is. But I want to paint this picture to show us the importance of the incarnation of Christ and the deity of Christ, okay? So this is important. If, if Jesus were only God, he wouldn't be able to atone for us. Okay, I want you to think about this. Atonement is this thing in the Bible that speaks to reconciliation. Atonement is when the relationship between God and man was healed. Well, in order for that to happen, there had to be a sacrifice to heal that relationship between God and man. This is what was so important for Jesus to come and to die on the cross for our sins, to live the perfect life, for the incarnation to take place, because he had to be that reconciliation. First Timothy 2 says it this way. For there is one God and there is one what? Mediator. Mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So God, Jesus came and he's our mediator between God and us. Making our relationship right with the Father. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, who? Who was the one man? Adam, because Eve told him to eat the apple. I'm kidding. Oh my goodness. They, they, it, yeah, never mind. There's one man, there was sin. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is why he had to come as the mediator. Powerful, okay? And then the second part of the statement is this if he were only man, he wouldn't have been able to save us. Okay? Psalm 49 says it really well this way. Psalm 49 verse 7 says, Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. In other words, Jesus needed to be fully God in order to pay the perfect price to make us in right relationship, giving us the ability to come back in right standing with the Father. Righteousness. Do you see how this works? Fully God, fully man. I think that the, the, the miracle of the incarnation and Jesus coming to earth is fascinating and it makes your brain hurt, but I'm also really thankful for it. Because again, if I go back to the whole thing being about the love that God has poured out on us, God had the whole plan figured out. He knew, he knew, he's like, you know what? Sin's gonna come into the world and the relationship's gonna be broken but I've already got a plan to make the relationship right. Yeah. I'm already putting things in motion so that you can come into right standing with the Father. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yes. That's pretty cool. The third thing, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Yes. You don't have to do enough right things. You don't just have to make sure you live the perfect life because it's impossible to live the perfect life. So why put that weight on you? We put our faith in Jesus because he's the one who saves our soul. Now with that, there is a sanctification process that takes place where once we give our lives to God, he says, okay, now I'm gonna do some work in your life. 
and I'm going to help you grow and I'm going to help you transform. Oh, and by the way, I gave you the Holy Spirit that's also going to empower you to be able to do that. So we're saved by Christ and by Christ alone, but he comes to transform us into who he designs us to be. It's powerful. Another statement of faith. We believe that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day and personally appeared to his disciples. He is the way. John says, or Jesus says this about himself in John 14. Jesus said to them, I'm the way. Boy, it sure sounds like that's pretty straightforward. I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one comes to the father except through me. In, in, in my Bible, that doesn't necessarily leave a whole lot of room for interpretation. It's pretty straightforward. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I think he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's the foundation I'm choosing to build my life on. Acts 4 says this, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other way but Jesus Christ himself. C.S. Lewis has this quote that I, I really love this quote, how he puts it. He says this, that the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of man can become the sons of God. That's pretty cool. How many are getting the point that it's really good to have Jesus as our foundation, right? The final thing. And there's so many more, but I wanted to boil it down as simple as I could here for us. We believe that Jesus is Lord. Now, (laughs) this is a big topic. I I could literally, I was was having lunch or dinner, whatever time of day it was, with Daryl Messina this week, and we were talking about this idea of lordship. This is something that literally is so deep and wide that it's, it's crazy, but it's so important for us. 1 Peter 3 says this, but sanctify, set aside, set apart as holy, Christ as Lord in your hearts. So set him as Lord in your hearts. When when we say this, this is a word that in our culture today has really become pretty empty. The idea of lordship doesn't really have a whole lot attached to it. I I would venture to say, and it's it's not anybody's, it's, it's actually preacher's and pastor's fault more than anybody else, that it hasn't been talked about. What does lordship mean, right? And so we say this, we throw this word lordship around. Jesus is Lord, and, and it's a word that we throw into our prayers quite often, but what does it actually mean? What does lordship mean? Think about this for a second. In saying that Jesus is Lord, go ahead, there it is. We are giving him authority over our life. We, we are giving up our own authority to him. We're saying, I don't call the shots anymore. He does. We're giving the authority to him in our lives. We commit ourselves to obey him. Ooh, this is really fun. In everything. Because he knows best. You may have some areas that maybe you're like, I don't know if I'm fully obeying God in that area. Everybody's hands should be up. Oh my goodness. 
We draw a line in the sand and establish our loyalty to him. And we refuse anything that denies the Godhead and the rule of Christ. Now, this sounds really good until you actually open the Bible. And then you realize, oh, the Bible actually challenges the way that my fleshly, sinful nature likes to live. The Bible actually tells me that I shouldn't indulge in these fleshly passions. It actually tells me to have patience and self-control and kindness. How dare it? When we start to actually say, you know what? Yeah, I want Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. And he goes, okay, I'm going to start with something real basic, real basic, real basic. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, and then when you get that one down, then love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and then we'll move on to the fruits of the spirit. Oh, okay. Okay. And you start to read that list going, I need help. Anybody else read the fruits of the spirit and go, yeah, I need help. I need help. (laughs) Even this week with my children, I love my children to death, but um, there is nothing that will test the fruit of the spirit in your life like having kids. (laughs) The fruits of the spirit are love. Okay, I love my kids. Joy. Joy? Peace. Peace. Patience. Patience. Kindness kindness, you really start to, it, 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 really, it really shapes things. If we're to say he's Lord, we give him authority to say, listen, as a son and daughter, I love you, but I'm going to put my finger on something because I want you to grow. And we go, okay, okay. I'm not the best person in the world. Maybe I've got an anger issue. Lord, I'm going to allow you to work in my life. And I'm going to surrender that part to you. Hudson Taylor says this, and this is just a gut punch when I read this this week. He said, Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. It's all or none. It's not in some areas and not in other areas. Everyone okay? It's a fun topic, huh? Take that one away and process it this week. All right, going on to the next one. I'm going to skip over the the Matthew 7 7 passage. Keep going. Lane, what's after that? Surprise me. Here we go. (laughs) We build then, if Jesus is our foundation, the Jesus of the Bible is our foundation, what we're building on. How do we do that? How do we build on the foundation of Jesus? Very simply, as individuals and as a church, we build on the foundation of Jesus by hearing and obeying his words. Very simple. We hear what he's speaking to us, we process it, and we obey it. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? Wow, that's great. We're all going to leave going, yeah, I'm going to hear everything he's saying and obey 95% of what he's saying this week. It's going to be great. Jesus talks about this in in Luke's passage and version of the the, the two different foundations, says this, everyone who comes to me 
and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock, the Petra, the the solid foundation. The idea of this Greek word Petra is it's bedrock. We have a growing group of people here who love gold panning in, in our church. And if you talk to them, bedrock is, is, is the best place to find gold because it, there's nothing below it. Like it's, it's the lowest. And so all the gold will go down and settle in the bedrock, right? So, so if we build our foundation on Christ, it is bedrock. It is the most solid. solid. It, is the, it might be solid too. It's the most solid. It's the furthest down. It's the strongest foundation. But the other side of this Greek word that's in here is the idea of a stronghold. It is a place where one resides for safety. So in other words, if you're going to build on Jesus, it's going to be the bedrock, which means it cannot be shaken. And by the way, it is a stronghold for you to be able to run to. Yeah. Pretty cool. So how do we hear Jesus? I'm going to continue to go, and, and this is going to be great. How do we hear from Jesus? I want to give you some very practical, basic ways that God speaks to us and for us to be able to hear him. The first of those is the Bible. The Bible. The word of God. It is the clearest and the best way that we can hear what he's speaking to us. You, you want to know what God's saying to you, what Jesus is speaking to your heart? Just open the word, and he'll speak to you That's right. every time. You know what the Bible says about itself? The word of God does not return void. It goes out and accomplishes exactly what it means to. So when you open the word and you read it, and you're in the book of Numbers, and you're like, why is this even in here? Or Leviticus. If the sore is on the surface of the skin, he's clean. But if it goes down below the surface of the skin, then he's unclean. What does that have to do with anything? Anytime you open the word of God, it will speak to you. Here's the key. Are we opening the word of God expecting to hear his voice? If we open the, the word expecting to hear He's going to speak. 2 Timothy 3.16, you guys know this. All scripture, oh, I love the ESV's translation of this. All scripture is breathed out by God. The words of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Did you know that God is speaking to you on every page of the Bible? Every page of the Bible, he's speaking. Now, there's an important thing for us to understand as we read the Bible and understand context. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. This is important because as we understand the context of scripture, we understand that some of these things were written to the Jewish nation, they were written to the Israelites, but all scripture is profitable for us to be able to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And this is why context is really important. What's being said here? Who is it being said to? What do I need to understand about the history, about what's taking place in this moment so that I can actually grab out of it everything that God wants to be able to speak to me through this? It's an important thing that we need to be able to understand as we read the Bible, okay? So the Bible, okay? Second thing is this, proven voices of godly wisdom. 
Did you know that Jesus actually will speak to you through proven, and notice I put the word proven, voices of godly wisdom. There's a, there's a lot of unproven voices of ungodly wisdom that are out there. There, there really are. There, there's a lot of people that will say a lot of different stuff. But there are people in your life who are proven, who are tested, that they've said things into your life that you can take back to scripture and go, yep, that's right. That's right. Exodus has this beautiful story of Moses and he's overwhelmed by leading the people because he's got you know, hundreds of thousands of people that he's leading into the wilderness. And he's the one guy and he's answering like all of the problems and dealing with everything. I mean, I, I, I don't know how he does it, right? But it's just him. His father-in-law comes to him and says, you are an idiot. <laughs> this my translation. He says, you can't do this by yourself. You need to select men of high caliber. And this is what he says in Exodus 18. Moreover, Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any smaller matter they shall decide among themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Jethro came, and he had... Words of wisdom for Moses. Moses heard those words and set the 70 elders to help to um, take care, really to steward the people of God. And so he listened and he was like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. And so what did he do? He put other proven voices in place to be able. God will use proven voices in your life to be able to speak to you. Prophecy is another area that God will use to be able to speak to you, Okay. Prophecy is something that we see in scripture that Paul talks about that is for the edification of the body. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, that the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. Meaning, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had two of our students who were up here who received their prayer languages. Those are amazing to build themselves up. Those are amazing to pray and to stir your spirit. But he says that the one who prophesies builds up the church edifies the church. What is prophecy? When I talk about prophecy, lots of stuff goes through your mind really, really quick, right? There's a lot of prophets that are functioning today. There's a lot of stuff said about the end times and all this. Paul, what he's talking about primarily when he uses the word prophecy is encouragement of the body. It's simply when God uses another voice to speak to someone else, the encouragement and the edification of their mind, of their spirit, of their emotions, of their person, right? God uses this ability. I've had it happen in my life so many times. I know that, you know, with Chris and Tia, there was a Sunday that it was the same thing for you guys, right? But God uses this. Why? Because he wants to edify his people, he wants to build his people up, he wants to encourage his people. So he uses prophecy. And finally, he uses a still, small voice. Still, small voice. Now, here's the thing about wisdom from proven voices, prophecy, and a still, small voice. All have to come back and submit to Scripture. They cannot stand on their own. They have to come under the authority of Scripture. So God uses these other things, but it has to be in the right order. Now, the still small voice, I think this is just so powerful. 
1 Kings 19, Elijah is there and God's talking to Elijah. And he said to him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? We go on to find that God was going to really challenge Elijah in this place that he had gotten to. The point is this, though. There are some times that in your life, we need the noise to cease. And it's when the noise ceases that we can hear his voice. And again, the still small voice will always come back under scripture. It's not different then. It's based off of scripture. In your life, I would, I would imagine that God has spoken to you through one of these different avenues at different times in your life, maybe for you multiple of these different areas. But recognize this, God is always speaking. Psalms tells us this, that, that we can't even comprehend his thoughts towards us. They're more than the sands on the seashore. Every day, like that's how many thoughts he has towards you. I don't have that many thoughts in a day. Some days I'm like, I don't have any thoughts, period. Those are my sermon prep days. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's something powerful that takes place when we position ourselves to say, Jesus, I want to hear your words. I want to hear your voice. Why? Because I want to build my life on you. That's the purpose. So my goal as we start this series is to establish, to do two things. That's four things, two things. To establish that he is our foundation. That Jesus is the one that we build our lives on. And we do that by actively going after and saying, Jesus, I wanna hear your voice. I wanna hear your voice. I need to hear you today. I need to hear you speaking to my life so that I can step out and so I can obey. A question for you to take away, just to process this week. What is Jesus speaking to you through scripture, counsel, prophecy, or a still small voice? And how are you gonna obey? Maybe you would say, you know what? I don't know if I've ever actually been able to say I've, I've heard his voice before. Like I've heard about this, but I've really, really wrestled with it. You know what my prayer for you is and what I think your prayer should be as you go into this week? Jesus, let me hear your voice. Maybe for the first time, let me hear your voice. So as we get ready to conclude, I just want you to take that away with you. I want you to process that through this week and to be thinking about what is he wanting to say to you? 
As we get ready to close service, I just want to really simply give an opportunity today for anybody who would say, you know what, I have not built my life on the foundation of Christ. I've been doing my own thing. I've been building my own thing and it's really, really shaky. And I want to build my life today, starting right now in this moment. I want to put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to build my life on the foundation of who he is. If that's you and you've never had an opportunity to do that, we're going to pray a prayer. Everyone, we're just going to pray it together. And if you today want to make that decision for him to be your Savior and your Lord and to, to start a relationship with him today, I want you to be able to do that. Just praying this out with everybody real quick as we do this. Say, Jesus... I'm here today and I realize that without you, my life is shaky. My foundation is insecure. And today I decide to put my faith in you as my savior and as my Lord. Today, I make the decision to build on you as my foundation, a sure foundation. Now, when everything else fails, I will still be standing because of you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and help me to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.